Hello and welcome to this episode, which is the third, or possibly the fourth, I've kind of lost count, of our sequence of podcasts about uh, America in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, which brings us to today's question, which is, did the Twenties roar for everybody? So... Is it fair to say then, my learned colleague, that it's a time of unrivaled economic expansion for everybody and everybody's better off? Yeah, it's, I mean, the traditional view, Roaring Twenties, is that it's this great time of extreme economic prosperity, but there were some underlying problems with the economy, which meant that not everybody benefited from the economic boom. All right. Um, so we could start off with what some of the underlying problems were, and then we could look specifically at some groups okay. who didn't who didn't benefit. So, so if I'm looking, then where am I going to find these underlying problems? Well, the, the first one are it's really government policy. Um, laissez-faire works to an extent, mm-hmm. but the very nature of it means that people do slip through. Yeah. Um, and because they've got a focus on business, they're not as focused on the workers themselves. Just a reminder here, fact fans were talking about the Republican administrations yes. throughout the course of the 1920s. So um, so some of the underlying problems, um, there's no minimum wage mm-hmm. for workers, uh, trade unionism is weak, there's no health care, there's no pensions, there's no unemployment pay, there's no sickness pay, um, and on top of that, I mean, they're just your general problems for workers, but then big business... Uh, the use of cartels to fix prices to keep them higher and so on. So you, you have a, a, a this element of society which benefits as really the wealthy and the business owners. Yeah. For most people, it's a problem. Just to, just to emphasise the point here, a cartel is any uh, economic grouping, industry grouping that gets together to fix the prices of their goods. So, for example, in today's world, we have OPEC, which are the uh, oil-producing companies, uh, countries who get together and they say, this is how much oil is going to cost. What's the problem with a cartel? Why does that... Well, you, you have a, a, maybe a, a limited number of of manufacturers creating one product. Yeah. And so in America, what they would do is they would they recognise that there was competition. The competition is healthy, but to ensure that everybody shared in that wealth, they would fix the prices, usually artificially high, which would mean that they'd be outpriced for significant numbers of workers. Um, um, and you know the cartels, if, as long as they worked with each other, they could alter those prices as well yeah. to suit themselves. So you, you've always got this small business elite making a lot of money. Okay. Um, these products are just about affordable, but never just cheap. Bit, but never yeah. cheap. Yeah, yeah, never cheap. So that that keeps prices artificially high. Okay. But there is one last and thing. I was just going to say, you've got prices artificially high and wages low because yes. of the lack of trade unionism. And you that's know, exactly market. right. And when you there's also there's a north south split as well. The boom really the, the beneficiaries of the boom are the northern industrial states, northeast in particular. Yeah. Um, and I've got some stats here. Um, in 1929, average wage northeast is 881 dollars a year. Yeah. In the southeast, it's only 365 dollars a year. Wow, that's a huge discrepancy. Absolutely enormous. So, just from that, you can work out that millions of Americans continue to live in poverty. It was um, six out of ten Americans didn't have enough money to buy sufficient food or pay for their housing. So the, the distribution of wealth, it's not just unequal in terms of the business owners 
you know, the wealthy already having it and the poor not, it's also a regional divide as well. And presumably there's also going to be an urban and rural divide yes, because yeah. this this new boom time for everybody is going to be concentrated in the industrial uh, cities and not in the rural farming communities. And that's a good place to start. If we look at like specific groups, mm. farmers are one of the groups who don't really benefit right. from the economic boom of the 1920s. Um, farming had slumped because as the European... Uh, farming had, had recovered after the First World War, they no longer need to buy livestock or grain from America, who right. had become the biggest supplier in the world. Um, and as a result, American farmers had completely overproduced. Ah. And when you overproduce, the value of your goods decreases. Um, now, they... Farmers lobbied the government to try and get them to guarantee farm prices, but Coolidge and the laissez-faire kind yeah, of attitude—you yeah. know—they they vetoed those those attempts to guarantee farm prices, and as a result, lots and lots of smaller farms went bankrupt. Um, and it was one of the greatest migrations. As a result, six million people left the countryside in the nineteen twenties to move to the cities to mm. find work in the new industries. Yeah. Um, so, you know, by 1930, over half of Americans are living in the 100 biggest cities. And, a, and that level of internal migration is going to cripple those rural communities. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So, so farming is definitely one of the areas that doesn't benefit as a result of the economic mm-hmm. boom. But it also it happens in industry as well. Mm-hmm. So not all industries are um, beneficiaries to the boom either. Okay. A really good example would be the textile industry. Right. So this is like a specific one. Um the textile industry was depressed. Artificial fibres were replacing traditional ones like cotton. Um, in Asia, new factories were making goods more cheaply than they were in America. Um, and so as a result, textile workers found that their wages were coming down. There wasn't as much work. And um, if they went on strike, they absolutely risked everything. You know that There was no problem at the time... For, in the, in the eyes of the government of using force to break up strikes. No, strike breakers were yeah. quite a, um, a popular way of doing things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, these these people that were working in these industries that were waning, they'd had their day, they had no one to look after their interests because mm. the government attitude was, as I said, let's say fair, it was... The um, free market yeah. will sort things out and find its own equilibrium. Yeah. Right. Um, there are other groups... In industry that didn't benefit as well. Coal mining is another good example. Um, now you was, see, you'd think, wouldn't you, yeah. that the, the, the use and the need for fuel would drive that one yeah. even more, but that's not the case. No, um, in, in the coal and in the steel industry, um, pay was extremely low. You know, the, the, the unions were so weak and the government so focused on promoting you know wealth for the business owners meant that the coal industry... Um, was suffering the industry itself was depressed it was um, there was competition from hydroelectric power natural yeah. gas oil and so coal no longer had that um you know it, it was no longer the only source of fuel if you yeah. like and so as a result of this and and the falling wages the coal miners again went on strike and state troopers were used to, to smash the strikes Literally government troops. Yeah, wow. the governor called in state troops to, to smash the strike in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, um, the, the traditional view of 
everyone benefiting from the boom, even in the industry, isn't strictly true either. Mm. I suppose we, we should really have a little look at the other marginalised group, especially when we're talking about the North-South divide, yeah. which is black Americans, yeah. who are mainly concentrated in the South at this period in the old slave-owning states. Yeah. And so how do they fare in this new brave new economic wonderland? Well, as you've, as you've pointed out, most black Americans lived in the southern states, and they had a rural life. They were farmers, or they were sharecroppers, so they didn't even own their own land. They were in a situation where they essentially were working on former plantations for mm-hmm. former slave owners, yeah. if you went back a generation, where their own ancestors had been slaves. Yeah. And this is the sharecropping this system. This is the sharecropping yeah. system, yeah. So they would farm, give a portion of their... Um, whatever it was they produce as rent, essentially. It's basically medieval, isn't yeah, it? It's the feudal it system. That's exactly in, what it is. In yeah, 1920s America. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so we already have established that farmers were suffering, but if you add into that the fact that many of them were black people as well who mm. were already suffering from discrimination in every aspect of their life, it was it was a double hit for them. Yeah. And lots of them, they migrated to mm. the north to find work and to escape from the Jim Crow laws and so on. Yeah. But then when they got to the North, they found that they were still being discriminated against. I mean, it wasn't as overt. Mm-hmm. They weren't suffering from lynchings, and there wasn't as much yeah. um, you know, racism that was there affecting you in everything that you did. But they still got the lowest wages. They yeah. still were the first to be fired, yeah. and they were still the people that had the worst housing conditions, the ghettos mm-hmm. and so on. You've, you've mentioned there, you've sort of alluded to the idea of um, lynchings in the South. Yeah. So that seems as good a place as any for us to turn our attention to. What is it like to be a black person in the South America in the 1920s? We've, we've already said that you, you're coming from a place where these people were slave owners one generation ago, if that. Mm. So is there a lot of ingrained racism as in believing that they are inferior? Yes. I mean, there, there's a general view amongst white southerners that you know black people are inferior to white people. They aren't to be trusted with any kind of political power. Um, they essentially, for some people in extreme cases, should be put back into a situation of slavery where they are controlled and even even the most liberal southerners tend to have sort of a an almost paternalistic view don't they which Mm -hmm. is they need to be looked after they need to be their own they're not capable of managing their own best interests yeah and 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 this attitude actually becomes codified as well Mm -hmm. in the jim crow laws yeah so segregation is an official policy in the southern states of america um and it, you know, at a very basic level, it can be black people and white people can't sit on the same bench in a park yeah. or even go to the same park. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't drink from the same fountains. They can't wait in the same room at a bus station. Mm-hmm. And then at a more structural level, you've got the, the schools, yes. of course. And, uh, and that, that takes away uh, equality of opportunity for education yeah. and economic earning power and things yeah. like that. They had this idea of... of um, the separate schools was okay because according to the the law they were separate but equal oh that's a yeah that's a phrase that's <laughs> but, familiar isn't it but of course they they weren't equal at all the, the black schools were always underfunded mm. um and you know it, 
there were ridiculous situations where where black children were forced to walk for miles and miles and miles to get to the nearest black only school. Mm. At at the risk of going too complicated, more complicated than is needed at GCSE, is it worth thinking about how much this is tied to voter suppression? Because you can afford to ignore them, you can afford to sideline them, because these elected officials are never going to be under threat. No, and I think it's 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 a good point to make, because... Uh, black people were um, they were prevented from voting by all sorts of little mechanisms that varied depending on where you were in the south but they always I mean like for example in some places there were literacy tests that you had to pass which are incredibly difficult we've got one you can have a look at and I can't do it (laughs) so yeah they they deliberately they weighed the system against I suppose when we're talking about politics as well, it's worthwhile remembering that people often forget we're talking about Southern Democrats here. We're not talking about Republicans who are doing these things. It's that very um, religious strain of um, Southern Democrat who's keeping this. And that religious aspect rather neatly ties in to this this idea of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Yes. You know, the, the... the view in the South is, is largely that you're only a real American mm-hmm. if you satisfy those four conditions. Yeah, very much or three so. conditions, sorry. Not four. And <laughs> <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish no, no, Inquisition. No. Um, and I, 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 the, the thing, of course, is that if, if these things are seen as being so precious, then they must be defended. Yes. And that's where you get some form of a paramilitary organisation which is set up to defend Mm-hmm. Uh, whiteness, Anglo-Saxonness, and Protestantism. Yeah. So I suppose it's time to introduce our little friends in the hoods, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the KKK. Yeah, the Ku Klux Klan. And I'd like to say I'm quite proud of this because it's knowledge that I only developed this year. I know where the name comes from. Ooh, I do too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show I'll let, off. You, I'll let you explain that. Uh, it comes from um, Kuklos, which is the Greek uh, meaning a circle, because it's set up by relatively educated and intelligent men in the wake of the Civil War, ex-soldiers. Um, and it, it sort of pootles along um, and fades away a bit and then gets a, a kick, a kickstart from a film called Birth of a Nation, which is what makes it famous again, where the Ku Klux Klan are actually shown as being heroes. Yeah. They're shown as being... It, it's an astonishing film to watch these yeah, days, the they, silent epic. They save good... Christian white families, don't yes. they, from the northern Yankee armies? Absolutely, who are all, who are yeah. all black. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's an astonishing thing, and this then kickstarts the power of the KKK in the South during the nineteen twenties, the period we're looking at. Yeah, before it collapses, but we'll we'll come to that um, later on why it collapses. Yeah. So uh, why don't we look at what their actual beliefs were? Because it's, mm, it's really easy yeah. to remember what the beliefs are. Because it's yeah. essentially anything that isn't wasp. Yes. So, you know, black communists, people, communists, yeah. Uh, Catholics. Catholics, Jews. Jews, yes. Uh, Eastern Europeans. Yes. Uh, Italians. Yeah. You know. It, it, it's worth remembering, I think, that the symbol of the KKK is not the hood. The hood is part mm. of the, when they were originally a very secretive organisation, that's just the symbol of the KKK is the burning cross. Yeah. Don't underplay the importance of religion yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, and to them, the KKK members, it was a religious crusade as well. They were defending, essentially defending yeah. the American way of life, mm-hmm. which they felt was under threat because of the huge numbers of immigrants yeah. that had arrived 
prior to the 1920s. At this point, I'm just going to pause so that we can put in a little bit of a soundtrack. And this is the lyrics of a KKK song as featured in the film Mississippi Burning. So I'm just going to pause for a second so that Gene Hackman can sing us that bit of a song. Now listen, you communists and niggers and Jews, tell all your buddies to spread the news. Today your judgment will soon be nigh, as the Lord in his wisdom looks down from on high. Will his battle be lost by mixing the races? We want beautiful babies, not ones with brown faces. Never, never, never I say, for the Ku Klux Klan is here to stay. Never, never. Never I say, cause the Ku Klux Klan is here to stay. These Ku Kluxers are better with lynchings than they are with lyrics. Just read the file, Mr. Anderson. I can do without the cabaret. Uh, you don't like me much, do you, boss? Sure I like you. I just don't share your sense of humor. So there you go. Although that's from the 1960s, the song was current in the 1920s, and it's very much addressing this idea of we are on a crusade. Yes. We are, we are out protecting our people but of course it wasn't only um like this religious moral crusading reason for why people joined mm -hmm. people joined it for all sorts of reasons social yeah uh, yes i mean I'd, it, it, yes people who were racist they didn't like catholics they were scared that their jobs were mm -hmm. going to go you know mm -hmm. that was a big one for a lot of white yeah. working class americans they just they felt that their economic security was under threat because yeah. of immigration and so, you know, they joined the clan to, to protect their, their livelihoods. To give them a leg up. And, yeah. and especially because I think it's worth pointing out that there's a lot of very influential and very important people in local mm. communities who are members of the clan. Yeah. Police, judges, firemen, people like that. Yeah. And like any secret society, you watch out for people who are also members. So it becomes a way of social advancement yeah. as well. They, they used to, in, in some places where the clan was very active... Because, um, you know, they're, they're an intimidating bunch of people. Yeah. So even if you didn't agree with the clan, mm -hmm. you know, you had to outwardly show your support because, yeah. you know, you could be targeted as yes. somebody who yes. was sympathetic towards black people. Yeah. So they used to have something called the trading with Klansmen sign, which business owners, they used to put up in their shop windows to show that, yeah, we trade with the clan. We're, yeah. we're friends with the clan. So basically leave us alone yeah. because they were thugs. A lot yeah, of them, yeah, yeah, you know. And, and I suppose another social thing is it becomes a family thing. My dad was a Klansman, my yeah. brother's a Klansman, I'm going to be a Klansman. My children, yeah. all those photographs you can see of those tiny little kids in the tiny little clan outfits, yeah. waddling along with their parents. And it was, you know, they claimed there was up to five million members mm. at its peak in the 1920s, in 1925. So this isn't a small organisation yeah. like it and is it, today. It's not quiet either. No. There's the big parades. In Washington. There's the, there's the fairs. There's the... It's <laughs> a great picture. You need to look at the picture. You have to see the picture. Yeah. You have to. For those of you that don't know what we're laughing about, I've shown it to my classes. I'm assuming you have. Yeah, we see it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Ferris wheel at a fair, a state fair, I'm assuming, um, and it's just a big bunch of clans people on a Ferris wheel. <laughs> and I just imagine them lifting up the hoods to eat, yeah. eat candy floss. It's a bizarre opinion. It's completely bonkers. Yeah. But and that, that itself, though, that illustrates, though, doesn't it? Yes. How, um, in, public. Yeah, how public it was. An acceptable, normalised, yeah. I think. That's part the key of word. Society. Yeah. Part an acceptable part of society. Yeah. But their actions are anything but mm. civilised. So... 
So we've already touched on the idea of the beatings. Mm-hmm. Um, we've touched on the idea of um, sort of a protection racket, which they certainly were involved in. Yeah. In some, but I suppose we need to talk about the nasty stuff. Yeah. Now, mm. so um, a, a lynching, strange fruit. Yeah, lynching be you know it's the the ultimate um, treat you know poor treatment of black people. Um, they were usually beaten first. If it was women, they were raped first. Um, and they would just be strung up on a tree mm. on a pretext of they maybe they had committed some crime that usually wasn't proven. Mm. Um, the, a favourite accusation that the clan used to throw out was that the black man had raped a white woman. Yeah, because that was the most shocking thing yeah. that they could think of, and so that excuse was used on numerous occasions to justify. A lynching yeah. or multiple lynchings, you know, it wasn't just one person, sometimes it was three, four, five people yeah, that they lynched time. together. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of very famous cases and a lot of very famous photographs kicking yeah. around the place. One of the things you will notice about the photographs is that um, a surprising number of people at these lynchings are not wearing hoods, no, they are quite happily turning to it, looks almost like a hunting photograph. Yeah, they're turning, looking at the camera, and their children are there. Yeah, um, and the police. Yes. But there, you know, it, it's well known now that the clan were able to get away with things like this because the police were part of the clan. Mm. They probably took part in, in the lynching. In the lynching, yeah. maybe they were the ones who accidentally left the cell open yeah. so that people could get in. And there's get... a there's a very famous case. I can't remember the name of it. Where a young man is on a young black man is on trial for rape, and the jury is about to find him not guilty. And the clan burst into the jury room, beat up the juror, who's the one who's saying that he's not guilty. And I believe they take him out and they tar him and feather him. Yeah. And then they yeah. take him back into the jury room and he delivers the correct verdict. Yeah. Complete intimidation. It, and get, get it right yeah. first time round. And it's yeah. systemic. It's, yeah. it's everywhere. Because, of course, if you're a black person and you've been beaten up, you can't go and talk to the police because the police are in the clan. Yeah. Who are you going to talk to? The judge. Yeah. Is in the clan, yeah, and the juries, even if they're not in the clan, like you said, they're reluctant to find them guilty mm. because they know that they're going to have to face those same people, maybe their families, or you know, on a day to day basis because yeah. they are part of the local community. So, as you said, that the peak of the clan is in 1925. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lose their their main influence after the trial of their Grand Wizard, I think his title is. I think I've got it right there. Yeah. Um, and I, there's, there's an entire A-level sociology textbook to be written about the clan's attitude towards sex, as you said. Mm. The worst thing they can think of is a black man raping a white woman, and yet they have no compunction about raping black women. No. Um, and then I think it's no surprise that the crime that eventually brings them down is a sexual one, yeah. which is the kidnap and rape of a young woman by the Grand Wizard. And, of course, the difference is in this case that the young woman is white. Mm. And that turns public opinion against them. Yeah. And at that point it's no longer seen as being acceptable no. to be a member of the clan, which in itself is a bit of a damning indictment that that's what it takes to make it yeah. unacceptable. Uh, but it's you know it, it's true. I mean that people already knew what they were doing and then their crimes were widely reported. And I think that was really the icing on the cake. Mm. You if you are a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant whose whole 
idea of society is based on this moral kind of crusade of saving yeah. American values. You can't justify that. No. You cannot justify the crime. And it's a perfect confluence of things uh, because it involves drugs, it involves alcohol, which at this point is illegal, of course. Yeah. It involves the kidnap of a white woman and rape and all the other bits and pieces. So, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I suppose we should say that even though the, the clan membership falls, they become less acceptable. The discrimination continues. Yes, absolutely. Jim Crow laws continue. The yeah. general attitude of the whites in the South yeah, continues. Yeah, and the violence continues. Um, I suppose the other thing is we, we should think about how black people organise themselves and how they try and take some political ownership of what's going on. So yeah. is this the time to talk about the NAACP? Yeah, we might as well. Um, it, 1920s, black organisation, it's the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People. Mm -hmm. And they campaigned for the government to bring in laws against lynching, to end Jim Crow laws in general, and to give black people the vote. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the government did not act. Yeah. Because it wanted to avoid... Uh, confrontation with southern politicians. Yeah. In, in, interestingly, it was the it was the Southern Democrats that blocked the law against lynching, um, which is again quite telling, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th there were attempts by the black community, but in their disenfranchised and disempowered state, it was always going to be an uphill struggle, and they didn't achieve anything until the fifties, really, mm -hmm. and then into the sixties yeah. with uh, Martin Luther King. Black Power Movement and so on. Yeah, but that's beyond what we're talking. Yeah, we were about, talking yeah. about anyway. So, uh, is there anything else we wanted to cover on this one? Then we've done. Um, well, we've got the groups that didn't benefit. Yeah, I think we've covered those. Um, we've covered the situation for Black Americans. Yep. Um, and the Ku Klux Klan. So I think we're pretty much done yeah, there, aren't we? Yeah, we are. That's done. Yeah. Excellent. So thank you very much for yeah. listening, and good luck in your exams.